Well, praise the Lord for his goodness. You know, when we know the Lord, there's never a lack of hope. And that hope is not ashamed, and that hope is not something that is just, well, we hope it might happen, or I hope it'll be good, or we hope will bless us. It is a confidence and assurance that he is faithful and he is good, and he will always help us. Let's call on the Lord as we come to study his word, and let's ask him to speak to us this morning. Lord, we praise you this morning for your goodness. We thank you for your constant faithfulness. We have no concept of what it would be like if there was no such thing as Jesus Christ. Lord, we know what our lives are like before you and we know what our lives are like after we've been saved by you. And the contrast is remarkable. That you would pull us out of darkness and pull us out of hopelessness and that you would give us uh, such a strong conviction and a strong confidence that because Christ died and rose again for our sins that we're saved forever. And Lord, I pray this morning that we'd have that confidence. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't have that hope this morning, that doesn't know that truth, that their heart would be awakened. And Lord, as we come to study your word, Father, that this word would be from you and that you would speak to us and our hearts would be opened. Lord, challenge us this morning. Confront us for what needs to be changed. And Father, we do pray this morning that you'd encourage us, that you would strengthen us for the work that's set before us, which, Lord, you're showing us every day is so wonderful and yet so wide-reaching. I pray this morning would be a day where our hearts are prepared where we become ready for what you're going to do. We thank you and praise you, Lord. Now, by your Spirit, speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 6. I want to speak very, very simply and very practically this morning from this short text. The Lord really impressed upon my heart, and I don't use that phrase lightly. The Lord really impressed upon my heart um, this, this concept and the kind of gave me the foundational thoughts for it on Friday morning. And um, as I've thought through it throughout the weekend, I've really seen the, the wisdom of it. After all the work that you guys have done to get the building ready, and, and as I said earlier, so many of you have given so much time, um, and I know some of you have not been able to with work or childcare or whatever, but um, we know you've prayed for us. But the, the work has been so wonderful this week, and I hope this study in response to that will be an encouragement to you and, and kind of a great exhortation to press on because that's what the passage is talking about. And I want to make sure we don't uh, have one without the other. We don't miss the second part of this message because the first part will, will really appeal to us. But the passage has a dual purpose. It talks to us personally. It talks to us as a church, as, as believers. Now, when we look at the Gospels and we come to the book of Mark, Mark really doesn't have the prelude that the other three have. John kind of jumps into it uh, in the same way, but, but Mark really gets right to the point. He doesn't talk about the nativity. He doesn't talk about the early days of Jesus' life, like Matthew and Luke especially do. He, he gets right into the account of Jesus' ministry, and he's the only um, one to, to kind of get right to the heart of what's happening in terms of Jesus' calling. Uh, he starts with John the Baptist, 
uh, preaching the message of repentance. And, and within 16 verses, we've already seen Peter and Andrew called and John and James called. And we get right to the heart of what Jesus is doing. And that, that quick narrative, that, that kind of not, you know, with Matthew, we've got the long genealogy. and Luke, we've got the long account of the birth of Jesus. But, but with that quick narrative, um, it kind of reflects the rest of the book and what Mark is trying to do. And the disciples, uh, really, I, I think I, when I read Mark, I feel for them a little bit more than the other passages because we realize just how quickly integrated they were into the heart of Jesus' ministry. One day they're out fishing or minding their own business or doing whatever they're doing. The next minute they're following him. They've abandoned everything. They've left uh, their livelihood and they're walking with Jesus. And, and Jesus doesn't give them a, a long trial period. He doesn't say, well, let's, let's just kind of slowly uh, form you guys into what you need to be. And over six, seven months, we're going to kind of train you. Like, like we constantly think in terms of business or ministry. Well, let's train you and kind of get your feet wet, see how you do, and then we'll figure out if you're the right fit. Jesus says, follow me, and the next day he's using them. So this is really a little bit of a, of a trial by fire. And by chapter 4, they're experiencing uh, the time where they're on the boat, they're at the storm out on Galilee, and Jesus calms the water for them. And then when they get off the boat, they face this demoniac who's up in the hills of Galilee who's screaming and cutting himself, and, and he's controlled by demons, and Jesus heals him and sends the demons into pigs that run into the water. It's a very dramatic scene. And then as they keep going on, the crowds are... are pressing in and pushing on them. And then uh, a servant of Jairus comes and, and says, you know, my master's sick. And then the woman with the hemorrhage is there. I mean, it's just, it's just constant. When you start reading the book of Mark and you see Jesus call the disciples in, in, in the start of chapter 1 and then again in chapter 3, right into it they get into the fray. Now, that's an important distinction. It's important that we understand that. Because in chapter 6... Jesus sends the 12 out in pairs. And he says, I'm going to give you special power. I'm going to give you a, 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 a unique equipping to, to do the work of ministry, to do the same kind of things that I've been doing, to do miracles and to, to heal people and to cast out demons. And as you're doing that, I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to call people to repentance. The same message that John the Baptist had been preaching and the same message that Jesus preached when he first came, which was repent. Turn from your sin. We've traced the, the history of Israel throughout Revelation class, and we've talked about how Israel was rebellious and resistant. So there's, there was a great need among the people that are hearing this for repentance. So the disciples go out in groups of two, and, and they've seen rejection. They had seen Jesus be rejected in his hometown in Nazareth where he, he couldn't really teach or do anything more because the people were so hostile. And while they're out on ministry, Herod gets word about Jesus and he starts to get irritated and he wonders whether John the Baptist has been resurrected because he had executed him. Or he wonders whether it was Elijah. Interesting that even an apostate king thought that the resurrection of the dead was possible. So now there's just kind of this, this just frenzy of activity and there's this movement of the disciples to, to go out and to do this work. And, and immediately they jump into it. And they're just I think overwhelmed by the work. Now that brings us to our passage. 
Mark chapter 6 and verse 30. Then the apostles gathered together. This is a continuation of chapter 1 verse, excuse me, chapter 6 verses 1 to 5 when they had gone out. The apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, verse 31, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them coming and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and it's already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and have something themselves to eat, buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. Stop right there. Now, this is fascinating because Mark is the only one who records this event. And this is the only time where we see Jesus telling his disciples, you guys need to rest. Now, the placement in the text and the placement in this book is very important and it's very informative to us because these early days, as I said, were, were probably pretty overwhelming. And they've just come back from this kind of ministry mission where they were sent out by twos and they went out and they experienced this, this understanding of power and this understanding of ability that God had given them that, that they had never experienced before. You've got to remember these guys were just doing their life and then they're changed and now they're empowered and they're doing mighty things and they're seeing people get healed and they're seeing demons get cast out and they're talking about repentance and who are they? They had to think in their minds, what are we doing here? What, what, why us? I mean, that thought's got to cross your mind once in a while, right? I've been doing this for a quarter century. Still crosses my mind. What am I doing up here this morning? I know you don't want to hear that from the pastor, right? That's your job, right? It's your calling. But you still face insecurity. What am I doing up here? I've walked through that building this week going, what are we doing? It's wonderful, isn't it? But wow, how did we get called to this? So there had to be, we know the disciples, right? There had to be some insecurity. But what is this all about? Wow, this is different than what I was doing three months ago. This is... This is weird. I mean, come on, that's a real feeling, right? They're not just like, look at us, we have power, this is wonderful, we've always done this. There's a humanity to it. And they're feeling this, I believe, as they go out and they do this ministry. And it's hard to imagine what they felt. I know there have been times in my ministry where I have felt the Lord's presence and the Lord's power so strongly where I was like, Lord, this is you working right now. I'm, I'm like watching this. You're doing so much. And, and those times are unbelievable. And yet this is so far beyond that. This is a unique gifting for them. So they're not only experiencing something they've never experienced before. They're also in the middle of this manic, passionate, even desperate crowd that's trying to get close to Jesus. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, I have a son that has demons. Jesus, oh, please. I mean, 
We can't imagine the crush of people. The, the gospel writers use the word multitude. I mean, this was a mass of humanity that's all trying to get close to the point that when the women, woman with the hemorrhage touched him, everybody's like, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. So Jesus and the disciples are going out. Now the disciples pair off and they go out and people are demanding the same things to them. And they're like, who are we? So bad that verse 31, look at it, says they didn't even have time to eat. The demands were so strong. People wanted so much that they didn't even have time to catch a bite. Ever have a day like that? How many days did you have like that this week? Or you're just like, I, I, don't, I, I don't even know where the day went. Personally, I don't know where April's gone. I, I lost March and February in the process, too. I'm still back at New Year's Day. It's almost the end of April already. And appointments and obligations and, and the demands of our jobs and the demands of parenting and all that's going on. And, and, and you guys have given so much sacrificial time this week with the building and then all their other responsibilities that seem to be increasing, not decreasing, right? It's getting busier. And then we've got the pressure of finances and health issues and, and all the junk that's going on in the world and all the information that's coming at us and all the things we have to process and, and, and trying to keep up with everything. It just gets overwhelming. More than once this week, I have thought to myself, I want to be sitting on a tropical beach under a palm tree. And then as we were at Menards buying supply for the building and it was raining five inches. And I looked out and I thought, where am I and why? My buddy John Corvalin texted me a picture from Puerto Rico. It's like, look at my view. And I thought, not sanctified thoughts. And then <laughs> wrote back and said, this is my view and sent him a picture of the window of Menards. And he wrote back, sorry. I didn't feel like he was sorry, but I took his word for it. It's easy to kind of feel like we're in the rat race, right? Just like spinning the wheel. In fact, I, I, I looked up this week to see where that term originated. And I didn't find the answer, but I was intrigued by the entry on Wikipedia, which is the source of all information. Described a rat race as an endless, self-defeating, and pointless pursuit. Conjures up the image of the futile efforts of a lab rat trying to escape or running around a maze or in a wheel. Went on to say that this has implications that many people see work as a seemingly endless pursuit with little reward or purpose. So the solution, the article said, is that people are looking for a better alternative. They want a work-life balance. Wouldn't that be fun? Because, quote, many people believe that long work hours, unpaid overtime, stressful jobs, time spent commuting, less time for family life and friends has led to a generally unhappier population, unable to enjoy the benefits of increased economic prosperity and a higher standard of living. I'm not sure when that was written, but I'm not sure when the time of economic prosperity. And that's part of the problem. It used to be you worked because you wanted to advance. Now we're working just to survive used to be you worked to, to get a higher standard of living. In fact, a businessman named Nigel Marsh said, often people work long, hard hours at jobs they hate to earn money, to buy things they don't need, to impress people they don't like. And that's funny, but I'm not sure it's even true anymore. 
The article went on to say that escaping the rat race has a number of different meanings, all of which are much more personal than trying to impress people. Retirement or no longer needing or having to work, moving from a high-pressure job to a less intense role, changing to a different job that doesn't involve working 9 to 6 or a long commute, working from home, or becoming financially independent from an employer. Think about how few of those seem possible right now. The thought of 9 to 6 or 8 to 5, that's out the window because now with technology, it's kind of 24-7. Some of you I know get, get calls 2 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning because the other side of the world's working and you're not, so you better get on it. There's, there's no more of what it used to be. And we've talked a lot of times about how culture and expectations have changed, and, and we've done a lot of it to ourselves. We kind of like that frenzied pace. We kind of like being involved in everything. And I was thinking, and this is a very ridiculous and sublime example, but I was thinking this week about the old shows like Leave it to Beaver, where everything seemed in its place, and the, and the dad would come home at, at, at 5.30, and he would sit and read his paper, and mom was in the kitchen making dinner, and the boys were doing their homework and, and hanging out with Eddie Haskell and doing all that kind of stuff. And, and, and everything was just kind of intact, and the parents had distinct roles, and everything just kind of seemed to make sense. Now, we know it's a little bit of an illusion, but go with me for a second. Those were the days of blue laws where, where businesses weren't really open on Sundays. In fact, I was in northern New Jersey a couple years ago, and I'm driving around, and everything's closed. And I'm like, what in the world is this? It's Sunday. Why isn't everything open? And the person with me said, it's the blue laws. The places aren't open on Sunday. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I even remembered this week how much it bothered my grandparents who were godly, godly people. It would bother them that there was a Sunday newspaper to the point that they didn't like it so much that we didn't read it around them. Now, they weren't weird. That was the norm. That was the expectation of the day. Now we not only have access to anything at any moment, I could reach in my pocket, pull it out, and get any piece of news in the world right now by clicking a couple buttons. And there's such an impatience in our culture and such an insistence on knowing everything now that it's not unusual now not only to not have a Sunday, uh, to have a Sunday paper, but, but to have people even in church that are sitting there going, what's my latest email? What, what's on Facebook right now? What's the news? What's happening in Boston? Now, none of you are doing that, and good for you. And it's easy to idealize life in the 50s and say, well, times were greater back then and we could just get back to that. And it was, it was so much better and we weren't stressed and we weren't unhappy. And it's just as easy to conclude that we could never get back, that that's completely unfeasible and, and impossible now. And I think both conclusions, I'm not sure they're necessarily correct. But what hit me this week is we are missing something. We're missing something. When we think about that contrast, we are missing something. And we have to assess that in terms of our time in the presence of the Lord and our time spent in the intentional maturation of our faith and our knowledge, let alone serving the Lord, let alone ministering to people, let alone telling people about Jesus Christ. Now, there's no question that Jesus valued and prioritized time with the Father. And sometimes he had to find it he had to prioritize it at times that were off when the crowds were demanding. So he'd go off in the night or he'd get up early in the morning and he would disappear and he'd get time with the father. But here he's teaching us and teaching the disciples the necessity of balance. 
making sure there are times to get away and rest, to recharge personally and spiritually. You know, the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. So, so I want you to look up from your Bible for a moment or from your iPhone if you're checking your Facebook. And, and I want you to see an infrared picture that was released this week, if you guys could put that up. I want you to see this picture. I've shown you this picture before, but this is a new one. This is called the Horsehead Nebula. Now, I want you to do nothing else for the next 20 to 30 seconds, but look at that image. Now, after about 15 seconds, my guess is you're like, okay, I get it. But imagine if I had said, I want you to do nothing but stare at that picture for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or an hour. That makes us uncomfortable because our minds are going. Okay, that's cool. Look at that picture. Wow, that's really amazing. That's a bunch of stars and some kind of vapor and gas that looks like a horse head. And boy, that's really amazing. I, I don't know how overwhelmed you are by that picture. But it's important to notice that those 30 seconds we had of kind of quiet and staring at that image are probably the quietest 30 seconds we're going to have the whole day. That's probably the stillest we're going to be from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed. Now let me tell you something about this nebula. It's 30 trillion miles long. It is 1.2 trillion times around the equator of the earth. If you laid that out in a string, that's how long this nebula is. Look at it again. Take your time. Look at what God created. The one who says to us, be still, be quiet. The word is in the Hebrew, stop striving. Be quiet and know that I'm God. The one who says that created that. And he knows the name of every single star that's in it. He holds it together. He's the one that put it in place. There are so many stars in this nebula. And they're constantly dying and being created. That, that man can't even begin to fathom how many there are. I looked at 10 different websites to try to know how many stars are in the Horsehead Nebula, and nobody had a clue. One of those little stars, the brightest ones, is 50 times the brightness of our sun. And that's just a little tiny fragment, a little tiny piece, a, 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 a little speck on the carpet this morning of how big the universe is. And God created that. And he says to us, listen now, be still and know that I am God. He wants us to stop pushing so hard and to spend time in his presence. But it's easy to lose that perspective, isn't it? 
We have a week like we had. And we become consumed with what is practically important, but is spiritually mundane. And we miss out on the value of what Jesus says twice, or what is mentioned twice in the passage, of getting away to that secluded place. Because when we get away to the secluded place, we hear the voice of the Lord. And if we don't get away to the secluded place, we miss the voice of the Lord. Now let me give you an example from yesterday that exemplifies this point. You can take it off, guys. Thank you. And shows how good the Lord is to us. We ordered chairs a few weeks ago for the new building. It's a big purchase. Biggest purchase we've ever made. And we asked them to send the fabric because we're picking fabric over the internet. You can't go and sit in these chairs. You can't look at them. You can't see what it looks like. So, so we have to pick it over the internet. We had several people look at it. We decided this is the fabric. They sent the fabric this week. They're rushing to get them to us because we need them in two weeks. So they send the fabric to us. I pull it out of the building Monday night and thought, this is horrible. This is the wrong fabric. We've just spent a lot of money. And this is not going to work. So a number of phone calls to Canada, a number of trying to figure this out, people looking at it at the work days, assessing it, does it work in the building, what's the lighting like? I mean, this has been, this has consumed us this week, these chairs, because we don't want to make the wrong decision. We don't want to have bad stewardship of money. And we want to think about our future. Well, at this point, we're stuck. I'm talking to Canada on Friday. They're saying, we're not going to be able to get them to you. If you want to go to the fabric you want, it's going to be probably middle to end of May. Well, that means we're going to have to rent chairs. We're not going to have the right opening for the building. Everything's not going to work. So I'm talking to Brother Paul Nunn, and he says, there's got to be somebody that's got 300 chairs sitting around. I said, well, go to your neighbor, because I'm sure in their basement, I wasn't being a jerk. I was just like, this is how absurd this all is. How do we find 300 chairs sitting around somewhere? And, and we laughed about it. And we were like, okay, the Lord's going to have to provide something. I'm getting ready yesterday morning to go out in the building. And, and the Lord, and I'm telling you this, you know me, okay? The Lord says to me, Paul, the women's club. And I thought, oh, yeah. The women's club's closed. We used to go down there for our services, and we couldn't be here. It's now owned by a funeral home. So I stopped by the funeral home on the way to the building, talked to the guy. He says, they're just sitting in the basement. We can let them use them. Now, that seems minor, but I'm telling you, I spent probably 15 hours this week worried about those chairs. And here, to bring back the joke to Paul, here's our neighbor that has chairs sitting in his basement. The Lord's funny, right? This is how God works. This is how God provides the ministry center that we've debated, is this the right timing? Should we have stayed through May? Especially when the whole chair thing came on. Should we have stayed through May? Should we stay another month? It would have cost us, but we'd have stability. We wouldn't have to rush to get the building. Well, when we had all that rain this week, the basement of the ministry center got water all on the carpet. Now, when you walk in the ministry center, I was on the third floor last night and could smell it. I'm not even sure we'll be able to have Bible study there Tuesday. The Lord's timing. Right? The Lord's timing. Confirming. Be still. I'm God. 
I know what I'm doing. I, I put that nebula up in the sky. I, I got you, okay? I've got you. But you've got to be quiet and listen to me. You've got to stop your striving and listen to me. David says in Psalm 37, 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. But our human nature says, I've got to solve this. Come on, what's the answer, Lord? Come on, show me. And, and if you are not going to tell me, then I'm going to go find it myself. What can I do? How do I solve this? Where, where, hey, 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 uh. God says, stop and rest and listen. Don't you think the disciples came back going, oh, yeah, 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 oh, look at what did. Oh, and we faced this challenge. And boy, it was amazing. And Judas, what happened with you? And Bartholomew and Nathaniel, what? Wait, and Simon, oh, Peter, man, I saw you, Peter, you. Yeah, I mean, they're all friends even. Jesus says, you know what we need to do? We need to get away and relax a little bit. We need to rest. Let's get some time away. Because you know what? The crowds are coming. Let's, let's, let's rest. Jesus had modeled this in terms of his prayer life. And there's been such a devaluing of prayer in our culture and even in church because waiting and trusting are hard and waiting and trusting are not emblematic of our culture. Everything is now. Give it to me now. And yet, when we spend time with the Lord, there's a calmness that is produced from taking time with him. And let me give you a couple thoughts here this morning. Write these down and then we'll pray. There are five distinct benefits, at least from this text, that I can find. Five distinct benefits from taking this time with the Lord and calming our spirit down and listening to Him. The first benefit is that it brings clarity to our heart and mind. When we slow down and calm down and listen to the Lord, it brings clarity to our heart and mind. For the disciples, this was their first real experiential exposure to the work of ministry, to what it meant to be his disciples. And it had to be incredible and amazing and a little intimidating. But they also could not have missed the fact that it totally validated who Jesus was. And it gave them a fresh understanding of what it really was to trust in him and to serve him and how it was going to radically change their lives. And it's even a little bit of preparation for Acts 2 where God says, I'm going to give you power from the Holy Spirit and you're going to do things you've never seen before. This is the first taste in Mark 6 where he sends them out and says, I'm going to give you special power for this. And they come back and they're, they're like little children talking about all that's happened and all they taught and all the people that were, that were saved and how lives were transformed. And God says, all right, now be calm. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. When we're stressed out and we get out of focus, we need our perspective to be restored. And it's amazing when we get into the presence of the Lord and we look at an image like that to say, oh, Lord, help me to not be so caught up in the junk and help me to realize just how wonderful you are and how much I love you. It restores and gives clarity to our heart and mind. Second, it exposes existing and potential sin. Pride was always lurking for the disciples, just like it is for us. And it takes on so many forms. And the devil manipulates to try to disguise it. And sometimes we don't see it because we're so busy. And even if we do see it, we say, come on, it's not a big deal. I can handle it. 
I just need, I just need, you know, this is almost to be expected because I'm, I'm working so hard for the Lord. Listen, sin gets hidden or it gets ignored or we justify it because we say, I'm so busy and I need something from me. David writes in Psalm 51, search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way in me. He wrote that after he had committed that awful sin with Bathsheba, which he probably could have explained away. I'm king. I'm stressed. There's a lot of demands. It's hard to leave Israel. They don't really want to serve the Lord. And I'm striving. And I've got a lot on my plate. And you know what? I just need a little bit of help. And my wife, she's not meeting my needs. And I'm under pressure. And here's this beautiful woman. This is a necessary evil of the job. And yet after he sins, he's isolated and he goes to the Lord. And instead of blaming the Lord, you've given me too much. Or instead of passing the buck, well, it wasn't my fault. Instead, he begs the Lord not only to forgive him, but Lord, look for anything else. Look for more. Find everything. Just, Just scrape out every crevice of my heart. Find anything that is evil and get rid of it. How much time have we spent this week? Saying to the Lord, Lord, scrape out my heart of this sin. Get rid of all it. Not just, oh Lord, I sinned, I'm really sorry. Okay, next thing. Scrape me out. Cleanse me completely. Purify me. Third, it recalibrates our lifestyle. Those first few months had to be a whirlwind for the disciples, and they're still trying to figure it out. But there's no question, the attention is not half bad. For guys that had just been kind of average Joes out there doing their thing, now they're walking with the most popular person in Israel. And they are in the inner circle. And if they need to push people out of the way, as they do in other passages and say, hey, Jesus is too busy. We're his disciples. He's going to need some space here. Need to get out of the way. We got this covered, Jesus. Jesus, we're good. Okay? The little children, you guys get away. Get away. Go on, go on, go on. You're bugging Jesus. We're the disciples. Talk like this. Get them out of here. Or, or, or they could have complained. Well, we're the disciples. I, I can't believe all these people are around. We never get time with Jesus anymore. Isn't it amazing how much emotions affect your feelings and, and affect how you respond? Oh, we never get time with Jesus. It was so much better in the old days when it was just him and us. Now all these crowds, or, or the lazy guys would stand back and go, we don't have to do anything. Jesus has got it. Yeah, oh, you go, Jesus. That's good. Yeah, Peter and I hang out here, have some fish. There's so many ways. Listen now, this is important. There's so many ways for pride to be insidious and to convince us to do what we want. When we slow down and spend time with the Lord, it not only stops our schedule from controlling us, but it makes us examine our choices and our attitude and what we're communicating to the Lord and to other people about how we live and how close we are to the Lord. Spending that calm time recalibrates our lifestyle Fourth, it steadies and strengthens our faith. When we're near the Lord, we gain confidence in the Lord. The two go together. 
it is an undeniable spiritual principle. When you are close to the Lord, you gain confidence in the Lord. Think about it. No matter what the problem is, can you honestly say that you've ever had a time where you approach the Lord with a dependent heart and a heart that's saying, Lord, I just need help, and walked away with the feeling that God didn't care, God was indifferent, God was too busy, God wasn't able to meet your needs, God is insufficient, God just really doesn't care. Has there ever been a time where you've approached the Lord and said, Lord, I need your help, where you walked away unsatisfied? No, there's not. Because if we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I just want to be near you and I want to help you, God says, oh, I'm coming near to that. I'm coming near to that. You want to trust me? You want to be dependent? You're broken? I will help you. You come to me proud and you come to me saying, I don't need you. God will say, fine, you don't need me. I'm not going to give you help when you don't want it. You come to me dependent? Oh, I'll help you. Steadies and strengthens our faith. And there's a last benefit. It deepens our relationship with the Lord. After they returned and things had gone so well, think about how much better the disciples understood him. But they had experienced his power and seen change. And that's such an important component of ministry. And it's why I'm asking you to come just for an hour tonight. We need to draw closer to him and see his power at work. And again, be reminded of what he's called to do. Because here's an important truth about being still and knowing that he's God. As his children and as his disciples and as his ambassadors, just being still and soaking it in is not the end goal. Say, I, you know, I'm hesitant to even preach this message this morning because I'm like, well, we've had such a busy week, now we get to rest and not do anything. No, that's not the principle. They don't do nothing from here on till the, till the crucifixion. It's ramping back up now. And that's the important principle. Look at verse 33. Which immediately follows them resting. The people saw them coming and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Just because they stopped doesn't mean the people stopped or the need stopped. To think that it does would be naive of us and to hope that it does would be self-indulgent. In fact, the people now, seeing that the disciples and Jesus are away, they go looking for them and they run along because apparently they were in the boat out on the Galilee and the Galilee's not big, so you can see, you can tell, and they're going, there's the boat and it's going north. So the people literally are running ahead of them along the shoreline. You could stand and see them running. And they're thinking, oh, where are they going? They're going to, to Capernaum. So they all run to Capernaum. And they wait on the shore. Oh, they're not going to Capernaum. They're going over here. And everybody runs again. I mean, that's literally what the text says. So there's going to be no relief. So they've gotten this time of personal recharging, but it's also a time of spiritual refreshing and a time of spiritual replenishing to prepare them for the next work. And there is always a next work the Lord has in front of us. By the time they land on the shore, it says Jesus looks at the people and he has compassion on them personally and spiritually because they're lost and he immediately begins to minister to them. The disciples may have thought, look, it's getting dark. We're going to get a break. This has been a good day. I needed this so badly. 
But the work is not done. They hadn't even had time to eat. And now they're getting off the boat and the people are hungry. We don't see them saying, look, we haven't even had supper ourselves. They're saying, look, it's kind of desolate here. We don't have any money. What do you expect us to do? Go buy food for these people? And there's a whole other miracle coming. The work was not done. This illustrates a very important point. Let's draw it to a close. We recharge to get back out and do the work. When we picked the name Harbor Rock Tabernacle for this church, when the Lord led us to that name, the concept of the harbor was very important. That we come in here to replenish and restock. This is replenishing, restocking time, church. This is the time to replenish and restock together. Every day we do it individually. Now we come together. Tonight we're going to be encouraged. Tonight we're going to be empowered by the Lord. And then tomorrow, even this afternoon, we've got the opportunity to minister to people. And there's a building to prepare for ministry. And people will bug us this week. And children will need to be instructed this week. And there will be people that are hard to love. And on and on and on. But God expects us and calls us to be active. The rest is not, well, I can just lay around and wait for the Lord to return. It's not just, well, I can take a break because I've been really busy this week and and you have no idea what I've done. Yeah, I do, because I've been there with you. But this is not the time to just sit around. It is the time to be restored so we can do the ministry. The fishing boat doesn't stay in port, right? It restocks and then it goes out to do the work. We have the opportunity now to see God work in a mighty way. And he's going to. He's going to. He's called us to this ministry and he asks us to prepare. So how do we do it? Three thoughts very quickly. First of all, we need to crave that time of being with the Lord. We need to crave that time of being still and knowing that he is there. It will always be a benefit and it will never be a disappointment. Second, we need to carve it out. We've got to carve it out of our schedule because the Lord is telling us you need to rest a while, but you need to rest for the point of being ready to go do the work. And then third, we need to anticipate and jump on every single opportunity that God gets in our way to see people with compassion and to minister to people and bring them to Christ. That's what he's calling us to do. We're in the middle of the frenzy of getting ready for May 1. And we've got a lot of work to do. And you need to be there this week and help because it won't get done otherwise. But you know what? In the middle of that, don't lose the time to be still and know that he's God. To get our hearts and our bodies and our emotions and our faith ready for what God is going to do. Let's bow our heads. And I want you just in this moment to just stop and be still. And I want you to listen to the Lord speaking to you just as he did yesterday with me about those chairs. Just stop and listen to him. Some of us need to spend more time like that. I know I do. How are we going to determine the Lord's voice unless we eliminate the noise and the clutter 
and we come away for a while. This is such a serious need for some of us. And the Lord is impressing upon your heart this morning how much you need it. Not just time off, not vacation. Everybody needs that. Time in His presence. It's such a strong need for you, and the Lord's impressing it so much upon your heart right now that I'm going to ask you to do something very unusual. If the Lord's putting that on your heart and saying, this is for me this morning, I want you to silently stand up in front of your seat. You're going to say to the Lord, Lord, I need to make time for you, and I'm going to make time for you. Nobody's going to be looking but me. The only reason I'm going to be looking is I know who to pray for. But if that's you this morning, just stand up. You're not going to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. Just stand up. There's so much pressure. We all feel it. Don't miss that time with the Lord. Those of you that are standing, prioritize that this week. Carve it out. Crave it. Because you need it. I need it. You can be seated. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you this morning that you're so good to us. Lord, there's nothing like time in your presence. That's what heaven's going to be. Time in your presence. We think materially, we think, what will it be like? What will my house be like? Will I know people? And Lord, we're not going to care about those things because we're going to realize the greatest thing in the world is to be in your presence. Lord, my brothers and sisters that have stood up with me today that are saying we need that, I pray you'd encourage them and help them this week to find that time, to make that time. And that you would replenish them and refresh them spiritually. Lord, there's so much work that's ahead of us that we need to do. So many people to reach. A world that is getting increasingly dark and needs your light. And Lord, you put that responsibility on us. So we ask you to help us. We ask you to strengthen us for the work that's ahead. Lord, it's so good and you've been so wonderful. And you're so almighty. To create that one single nebula would be beyond our comprehension. And yet there are billions of them. Strengthen us and encourage us this week. May we be a people that would be pleasing to you and everything. And Lord, as you always do, show us your goodness and your faithfulness, which is everlasting. Lord, what a great God you are. You're so merciful. You're so wonderful to us. And we thank you. And we love you. It's because of Christ that we're saved. We pray this in his name. Amen.